0: Welcome to The Climb Podcast with me, Stuart Webber. In this podcast series, we'll be interviewing guests from all walks of life, some famous, some talented, and some just with amazing stories. But what links them is they've all overcome huge challenges and adversity in their personal lives. This podcast will run alongside my greatest challenge, climbing Mount Everest, all in aid of raising funds for the Summit Foundation with an aim to help those who need a helping hand with their own life challenges. Joining me on all these podcasts will be my friend Jonathan, who's also a trustee of the Summit Foundation. Jonathan's background is in TV, so a completely different feel to me.
1: Yep, I'm a writer and development producer, plus I'm a Norwich fan, which is sort of how we became mates. Yeah, you emailed me uh, after a 4-1 defeat Anfield a few years ago. I did, just slagging you off, slagging the players off. But I'd heard you were a big fan of a comedian that I was working with, so I invited you to a gig, and that was sort of it. Yep, that was that. So this podcast, Stuart, is all to raise the profile of your charity foundation.
0: Why are you setting that up? The idea of the podcast was actually yours. So I've got to give you some credit there. Well done. But the um, the actual charity itself sort of come born out with, uh, between myself and, and my wife talking about, you know, social issues within Norfolk, which is where we're now living and, you know, where you're from. And we look at maybe the lack of education around young people now and how they can get a better life for themselves. And, you know, obviously we've been fortunate that we've come out of a world and had aspirations and and been able to follow some of our dreams. But I think there's so many young people now who are brought up maybe in, you know, not particularly great home lives or maybe the schools are... There's too many kids to to a classroom and the teachers can't spend enough time with these kids. And I think we wanted to do something where... We could maybe inspire young people, but then also help them. So, let's say, for example, there's a, a young person who needs, you know, wants to go to university, but maybe they can't afford it. Maybe they're, you know, they they don't have the family support. You know, they could apply for a grant from the charity, and that might help someone get out of a particular area, go to university college, start a business, whatever it might be. You know, and and show them that they can make a success of their lives, and then you know, the, ultimately, with the aim of that person going back into their community and maybe them helping another person and and becoming like really gaining some momentum around educating that the only way I think we're going to get out of our social issues that we have in our country is via education and, and showing our young people and inspiring them that there is a different way. And yeah, we wanted to do our bit for our little corner of the world that both my, myself and Zoe, my wife have fallen in love with and yeah, we want to try and help and that's where we come up with the idea and then Obviously, I spoke to you as a, as a trusted friend to come and be a part of it, which you know I'm delighted that you agreed. Um, and straight away you said, "Come on, why don't we do a podcast and reach out to some people, which can help raise awareness around the charity, but again, maybe help educate people that you know no one's had a perfect road to success." And, and some of the people that were you know really fortunate that have agreed to come on and support the podcast, I think there's going to be so much fantastic insights from them that we can share with the audience which if the whole podcast series helps one person then it's been worth us giving up our time to do i think
1: and the reason it's called the climb podcast is because your big ambition is to climb mount everest so i've always
0: had the dream to climb mount everest i love i love being outside i love mountains you know walking's a passion if i'd you know if i got a call or text tonight it'd probably be whatsapp actually off you know god tonight saying listen mate you're done tomorrow you're gonna die i would factor in a walk it's when I'm probably my most happiest. Actually, is when I walk. So Everest has always been a dream. So yeah, I've set myself the the goal to to climb Everest, and you know I'd love to be able to raise you know with the help of a lot of people raise a million pounds by the time. Hopefully, I get the opportunity to summit Everest. Um, it's obviously a it's a big dream and and a big challenge, but it's like everything in life. It's it's yeah. There's no point doing an easy challenge. No. Either. And you have to train how long is the training for that? Yes, yeah, so I've been training since the summer of 2021 and yeah, I mean my aim is to to have a go at Everest in um, either the summer of 2023 or 2024 you have to do it in the summer because there's only a certain window where you can actually climb it because of, of the weather Right Who decides that you're ready to climb Everest? Is it is there someone that you
1: that you go up you travel up there with who says, right you're, you're ready to go now because if it, I mean, it's unsafe, so you have to presumably go up with someone who's done it before or very experienced with climbing.
0: Yeah, you, you don't just sort of turn up and, and give it a go, so I mean, one thing I'm, I'm very passionate about is, you know, you can die on this mountain. Um, I'm willing to die on the mountain, but I'm not willing to die or have someone else killed because of my lack of preparation, and that's something I'm very passionate about. I hate people being under, under prepared for things, especially when there's lives at stake. So The guide I end up going with, we have to be very comfortable with each other. And I have to trust that when we're up there, if they tell me enough's enough, you need to turn around now, that I believe them and that I will have to make that decision. So that's the process I'm going through now. But it's a bit like you got to spend some time together and work out if you like each other because you can be away for four to six weeks together in a tent, effectively. It would help if you get on. Um, yeah, and likewise, you're going to be in pressurized situations on a mountain where you know the weather's going to be potentially horrendous. There's a storm coming in. There's an avalanche just happened. You know, there's going to be life or death moments that we're going to have encountered together. So you need to trust each other, and you need to you need to be a respect level there. So yeah, that that's a tough part of it. It's probably the toughest part actually. I'm finding is that right person, right time, because there's you know, there's lots of companies which do this sort of thing. But you know, my aim is to you know try and find the best person to go with, and then hopefully they're willing to take me because also the best ones have the opportunity to say, "Oh, you're all right. I don't really want to take you." But that's why it's going to be really important the time I spend, you know, in the Alps. And there's a, I think we're planning a trip to Bolivia at some point as well, where just you and this person you're going to go yeah, up with, yeah, yeah, and you know maybe a team to support around that as well. Okay. But, but you have to find out, do we? You know,
1: click. click, yeah, click for for all the people that have climbed Everest. That, I would imagine there are thousands who embarked on it and didn't complete it. Going back to what you said earlier about if if this person says turn back, you can't. Would that be down to training or just, condo- I guess, or everything, conditions, everything?
0: You're relying on the weather, which no one has control over. Yeah. Um, training, experience. You know, that's why I'll only do it when I'm told I'm ready to do it. I'm not but surely
1: giving- everyone who does it has to be ready right or it, how can someone go up who isn't ready I assumed
0: wrongly that to be able to even set foot on the mountain you would have to have a level of experience right but you don't if you're willing to pay you can literally rock up in a pair of flip flops and give it a go and that blows my mind because they wouldn't let you get in a car unless you pass your driving test and you've got insurance and and whatever Yeah on a mountain where you can die and others can die because of your incompetence by the way yeah if you're willing to pay they'll let you do it but I think also and this is something which is going to become very prominent I think as we talk to people through the podcast series is I think it's also people's egos I think people yeah I've done this so I'll be all right. and people do under train I mean I I went to there's an altitude centre in London which I'm doing some of my training stuff there and you know I went there uh, recently and you know, they tested for how my um, how my body was reacting to the altitude training, and and they said to me, um, "You're more ahead of people now than people who are going to Everest Everest in four months." So reacting too well, if anything, if anything, yeah. yeah. But what annoyed me on that, I'm thinking, why are they going if they're not? Oh, that's not that yeah. shouldn't be possible. Yeah, because I've not done anything out of the ordinary. I'm just training every day because I've been told by the experts, for your body to adapt. No, you need to train every day, mate. So if it's getting up at four in the morning or if it's doing something late at night, because I appreciate I've got a normal life I need to crack on with as well, but I can't get my head around where others aren't doing that. Especially, and I'm going, my first mountain, you're very unlucky if you die on it in terms of Kilimanjaro, whereas Everest, it's like, well, yeah, if you're underprepared, you, you there's will. a good chance. you're Not necessarily going to die, but you're going to get in trouble or not complete it. And I think, well, the money, the time, the effort, Surely you want to go there, giving yourself the best chance. It's a bit like a marathon. I can never get mad round people running marathons. and It's like, have you trained? Not really. Okay. And they've got cramp after 10 miles and mm. have to walk 16 miles in about two days. And it's like, you knew what it was going to be. It's not a surprise when you turn up at London and go, Oh, was it that far? I thought it was just a little walk. And same with Everest. You know it's the biggest mountain in the world. Prepare for it. And then if you fail, at least you can look in the mirror and go, you know what? Maybe it wasn't right this time. i have to come back and do it again. But How would uh, you
1: be with that? If you didn't, if you went trained and it didn't happen, how would that be for you?
0: I think incredibly disappointing. My mindset is looking at more possibility of doing it than not. As I, I don't really see failure as as something as part of my life. No. It does happen, and it's how you react to that. And of course, that's life. And and if 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 it doesn't work out, there'll be lots of learnings from that to do it better next time. But. Yeah, certainly my mindset is very much of completing the task, not failing on it. You don't cut corners, do you? I think that's the thing. You just do everything properly. Yeah, and, and especially, i got to say, especially in this world, because it's a world that I haven't got enough knowledge about. Yeah, And I've said to the people, I've been talking about this for 18 months, let's say, I'm saying, no, no, I'm a dummy. Right down to what woolly hut I should have. I don't know. So I'm going to ask stupid questions because I'm not going to pretend to know because it's not my world. Yeah. So my world that I do every day... Yeah, there is certain meetings that you can blag your way through because I've got enough experience to go, I've been here 200 times, so I know how to get through this meeting even though I'm not massively prepared. Whereas climbing these mountains, I'm not prepared for. Yeah, so yeah. I have to ask stupid questions. Yeah. I have to ask things because I don't know. And I, I do, it doesn't embarrass me to ask a question where other people might look in the room and go, what oh, a dick, how does he not know that? And I'm like, well, I don't know. So I'd rather ask than be stuck 6,000 metres high going, does I need a wallet hat? <laughs> yeah. Of course you do. Well I did not know. Well fucking ask. Yeah. So I'm asking.
1: So we've got some clips of you training and heavy breathing and struggling and nearly dying. Let's listen to those.
0: <sighs> oh, Sunday morning. I've just done a hour On the treadmill 12% incline But with 20 uh, 20 kilogram weight In my backpack um, uh, five thousand 5,100 metres um, So getting closer now to Working at the What would be the height of Of Kilimanjaro um, Yeah I've got to say Having the 20kg in a backpack hurt um, more than I expected and yeah maybe it was a little bit of a wake up call I've got to do more uh, around my strength but yeah better to learn this lesson now than when on the middle of a on the side of a mountain um, two thirds up Oh, second time just finished uh Real steep hill. Yeah, real tough going on the second time, but a good blow, almost at the top. Just, uh, oh, just finished a 90 minute session at 6,500 meters. uh, Doing a fair ocean of hill walk, um, uh, squats, And steps up and down on a 60 centimetre box.
1: We should actually talk about your life, Stuart. We've got a lot of great guests coming on the podcast, but we should talk about you. You are sporting director of Norwich City Football Club, the team that I support. Um, But it all started for you in Wrexham, right?
0: Yeah, um, it did. So, yeah, when I left school at uh, at sixteen, um, I wasn't the the best academically. Let me, basically, I was shit in school. I, I, let's, let's not dress this up, but uh, but no, I always loved football. You no, know, so football was sort of my life. Um, like a lot of little boys, I think, and girls, I was just desperate to get involved in football. And so, I actually moved away at sixteen to a college that I actually did a course in horticulture. And uh, the reason I did that is I wanted to get out of Aberystwyth, which is where I was from, and this was up in North Wales. And I used to be able to get the the support bus from there to go and watch Leeds games, which was my team as as a kid. But while I was there doing this course, when I was 17, 18, I got to go to Wrexham Football Club one day a week, work experience on the grounds so I was at the training ground and you had like Darren Ferguson was playing there and, and Chris Armstrong people like this and I was um, looking at the pitches but it's great I was like we working on the pitches in the morning and watch training during the day it was incredible for me I was like in awe of these these players and the manager Dennis Smith at the time and then luckily for me the, the guy left his job there and they offered me the job so I was at like 18 full-time at Wrexham working on the grounds But at the same time, I've been doing my coaching badges since I was 15. Um, Because I knew at that time, a lot of people for sport, if you want to get involved, with maybe in the sport science route. But I've always been very honest with myself. And academically, college and university wouldn't have been for me. I just, I would have dropped out. I know it because I I can't really concentrate on stuff long enough unless I'm incredibly interested in it. And and science is not something I was interested in. But I started doing my badges and 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 I said to the academy manager at the time, I said, any chance I could coach... The academy kids at night I said I don't want paying I just want experience so yeah you can do it for six months and if you're any good you can have a job if you're not piss off do you know what I mean it was back then it was you're talking 20 years ago it was a bit more ruthless then it was no oh we'll have a career plan for you it's like if you're good you'll be all right if you're shit, you shit, don't come back sort of thing so I did that at the same time I did loads of coaching I was coaching disability teams I was coaching girls team because I knew that I just had to gain experiences I didn't have a background of playing I didn't have a famous dad or anything like that who was going to give me a foot in the door. I knew it was going to be down to me creating opportunities for myself and being willing to go out of my comfort zone. And that's what I did. And within a year at Wrexham, I got uh, given my own team. Uh, Under-12s they were, bless them. And then um, within a year of that, I was given a full-time job there. And then ended up coaching the under-18 team, uh, where we won the league actually for the first time in Wrexham's under-18s history. Uh, Which was, I'm certainly very proud of. Thank you. I've actually, no, all seriously, I've got two championship winners' medals, um, and that medal sits proudly next to it because that was a a big thing back then. Um, What sort of coach were you? What sort of manager? I thought I was Josie Mourinho. I'm not going to lie. It was when he just come shot on the scene at Chelsea first time round. Did you start dressing like him? Yeah, I was. I, was yeah. I look back and think, what a prick. She Did was, you actually? Is yeah, that, oh, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, Because I, I used to love him. Do you know what I mean? I used to love him. I loved everything he stood for. And I think also his aspiration because he hadn't played. Yeah. So I think for people like me, we needed people like him to be a success. It proves that it, it could, could be, be done, yeah. Because football at that time, it's very different now. Very, very different now, thank God. But at that time, it was all about, yeah, you haven't played the game, mate oh, okay, so, well, you're going to beat me up with that every time, are you? Whereas when Mourinho achieved what he did, it was like, yeah, he's done all right. He's not played the game either. So, yeah, it gave us hope. But then but then from Wrexham, I, I moved quickly to Liverpool when I was 24, 25, so only, only a baby, really, uh, to work in the scouting team there within the academy. And I got promoted within a year to be director of academy recruitment. Uh, which so that's was, 26 which years was old, would you say? Yeah. Right. That's young to be in a position yeah, that's too like young. That. I wasn't ready for that, to be honest. But just worked my way into the job really as opposed to through talent and then um and then after three and a half four years there I wanted to go with the first team and uh that opportunity was there and then unfortunately Damien Camoli got sacked as director of football and Kenny Dalgleish got sacked as the manager and things changed the club went in a different direction they brought in a whole new scouting team and they said they were happy for me to stay but they said I'll be within the academy um, which I was grateful for but I'm like I'm ready to try first team now and that's where I left and I went to QPR w- to do work with first team and that, that was a great example of I learned so much there because of bad things bad practice and and, and bad environment and bad cultures what period um, was that for them so that was they're in the Premier League with Mark Hughes as manager okay so it's the when proper... they started spending all the money on Julio yeah. Cesar and um yeah I never felt a part of that club, to be honest, I, I don't even talk about QPR really. When talk about ex clubs, I always forget about them because I was only there for four months. But Mark Hughes got the sack, and at that time, I got a call from Wolves to say would I go in there and be head of recruitment, which I just did straight away. I Actually, took a pay cut to go there because I just wanted to get out of QPR. Um, and Wolves was a great club. You know, Steve Morgan was the owner, Jez Moxie was the chief exec, Kef Fairwell the sporting director. You know, really good people, and so they gave me that opportunity. So I took that, and then I was there for two and a half years. Uh, we got promoted from League One to the Championship, which we should have done with that team, in fairness. I'm not trying to take any credit for that. It's you know We should have got promoted, but we start to do it. And I think we got record points, which was nice. People forget this, but our first season in the Championship, we finished seventh, which was actually joint fifth with Brentford and Ipswich. We lost out on goal difference. It was the year Norwich went up when they beat Middlesbrough in the playoffs. And then that summer, an opportunity came at Huddersfield. I always knew I wanted to do a job beyond just recruitment. I wanted to be involved in strategy. I wanted to be involved in head coach appointments. I wanted to be involved in development of young players because that's my real passion as young players. So the job at Huddersfield of you know sort of director of football came up, and I always looked at Huddersfield as a really well-run club. A guy called Ross Wilson, who's at Rangers now, was doing a job before I knew well, um, so I knew they understood the role. Chairman, uh, the owner Dean Hoyle, top guy. I also thought, no, oh, we can make improvements here. So I went there and it was great because it was a job where, in fairness to the owner, Dean, he said to me, if you're any good, I'll let you do what you want. And if you're shit, I'll sack you. And I was like, perfect. Good. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, Perfect. That, that's Those are the rules. All I want. That, yeah. I, I like simple life and that for me is, it can't get any more simple. Definitely a big turning point for my career was um, we we let Chris Powell go and we appointed David Wagner, an unknown... Uh, German guy at the time and I'll never forget it it was about 10 o'clock at night I was literally half undressed about to step into bed and Dean Hall rang me and um, it was between Dave Wagner and funny enough Dean Smith and um, Dean rang me and said right come on Stuart is it David or is it Dean and I said David and I give him my reasons why and he says okay you do know this will make or break your career this decision and I was like oof thanks for that Good night." but i think he's right because what it did it put huddersfield on the map we got promoted the next season i got what is much a much bigger job at norwich in terms of a much bigger club and it put me on the map this guy who isn't a ex footballer hasn't had you know a famous dad or anything like that you know i've come from a little village and town where no one's pretty much heard of suddenly I'm doing interviews on Sky uh with famous people and you know suddenly it's you know people are intrigued as to where they find this unknown German from and then I've gone to Norwich and I found another unknown German and bang we've achieved promotion to the Premier League with this little unknown German and then we've done it again and uh yeah it's been um it's been a fascinating story so far fascinating career I'm very grateful for the opportunities I've been given but yeah, I'm, I'm very lucky and um, very very grateful. We're a great club now. We've got unbelievable owners, Delia Smith and Michael Wynne-Jones, 80 years old now. Delia, obviously, well-known to most people in the world. Um, so yeah, it's been interesting.
1: Well, I think that's a good place to wrap up. If you'd like to find out more about the Summit Foundation, please visit our website, thesummitfoundation.co.uk. Thanks for listening.